All right, well, we just wrapped up another video. This one talking about antler development cycle and the cycling of, of antlers and, and the factors that affect the cycling and development of antlers. Uh, a great question came in that was fairly relevant for what we have going on uh, these days in 2019. But uh, also the reason why I decided to make this one its own video was because there's a bunch of people posting pictures on social media of their summer trail cam footage. And I think there's gonna be some people that are a little disappointed by what they're seeing now versus what they think they're gonna be seeing later. So if that interests you, well, check it out. Alrighty, hey everybody. Well, you wanna know what is awesome about doing videos? As opposed to doing like a live seminar or something like that? You can go back and re-record it when you make a mistake. <laughs> and that is literally what we are doing today. So let me push this back a little bit. I know yesterday I was a little loud. Uh, and this microphone does really, really, uh, does a great job. So I was a little bit louder than what I wanted to be. And, and it kind of squelched it out. But uh, kind of, maybe it's a good thing that I made a mistake. And uh, gives me a, a chance to re-record this. Because maybe I'll be a little bit more succinct and to the point and I won't be squelching out the um, microphone so we'll give it a go but uh, yeah so I didn't realize it so I did an entire video on what we're going to talk about right now which is antler development and antler cycling so I did the whole thing it was awesome I thought it was a great video kind of podcast-esque video like we're doing and I get into editing it and getting it loaded up on Final Cut and going through it and doing all sorts of little stuff just to make sure the audio was good as it could be and get everything lined up. I get into it and I'm like, what did I just say? Yeah, so inadvertently, I uh, had an error throughout the entire thing and I never even caught it until last night. So here we are, we're gonna do it again. So let me tell you a little story so that way I can tell you a little story and then we can dive into uh, <laughs> dive into this topic again. Well, again for me anyway. So yeah, so here I am doing the whitetail stuff, blah, 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 all the, the habitat and food plots and et cetera, et cetera, helping some folks and consulting, et cetera, et cetera. So my mind is split between whitetails and elk and the other day, I'm sitting there looking at pictures of, you know, people had posted some pictures of some newborn fawns, and they had posted a date there, and I was thinking, you know, I had some pictures of, a couple pictures of some fawns, and, well, the beautiful thing about finding fawns, I mean, when they're just itty-bitty tiny, just a couple days old, is you, for whitetails, you can, well, it doesn't matter, but for me, for whitetails, you can kind of backtrack date and see when that fawn was likely conceived which then can give you an idea of when your bucks are out there breeding the does and so if all of a sudden you see a bunch of does or excuse me a bunch of fawns out on the landscape early and you're like man you go back roughly 200 days the gestation for a white-tailed doe is about 200 days it's like 201 or something like that so roughly 200 days so you can kind of 
count back 200 days and figure out when that dough was bred. So that was kind of that's been floating in my mind, and, and I was doing some thinking about that regarding some other stuff. So I tell you that story to tell you this story, which was yesterday. So I, I get so I've had some questions come in versus antlers, and I and uh, and I know for a fact you've been seeing them too. All right, there's this is the time. This is about the time of the year where everybody starts getting itchy. Everybody starts getting oh, they're starting to they're looking ahead. You're looking at about a month and a half, and and September's going to be here, and we're going to be rocking and rolling in elk season. All right, which just scared that just literally just scared the bejeebas out of me. I cannot believe it's July 20th already. Goodness freaking gracious! But anyway. So yeah, less than a month and a half away, we are going to be out there in the field with tags in our pockets, sticks and strings in our hands, and uh, seeing what we can do. But anyway, so the relevant point is, there's people out there that like to run game cameras, and so they've been put. They maybe they put their game cameras out in June, or maybe their game cameras they put it out July Fourth weekend or whatever. But they can't help it. They're getting antsy. The weather's nice. It's been hot down in lower elevations. And so they want to go up and recreate in the mountains and they want to go scout. And they can't help it, but they need to go back up and they want to pull the cards on their game cameras. And so they start pulling cards on their game cameras and they're starting to see bulls on their game cameras. A lot of people are putting them on wallows and, and other stuff like that. So people are starting to post pictures of their of the photos of their game cameras. And the comments are... You know, I can't wait to see what this bull turns into. And they're getting all excited. And, and one comment on one group was this guy had a picture of about a, oh, maybe a 280, 290 bull. And then he stated, well, you know, I'm, I'm hoping this. He thought it was about a 300-inch bull. And then his thought was is he's thinking it's going to finish out, you know, close to that 330 mark. What does everybody think? Bruh. <laughs> the picture was from like middle of July and all of the points you could see in the it's all velvet of course but all the points are starting to get very very pointy and I'm thinking bruh I got news <laughs> no so a, a handful of people chimed in and were like you know no he's he's pretty much done growing and then it, oh here we go the, the, the discussion ensued so I think there's a lot of people that are going to be a little disappointed in their game camera footage, depending on the date that that picture was taken, all right? Because I think there's a lot of people that have a misconception on what the antler cycle actually is. And so that's the discussion that we're going to talk about right now, and that's the, the, the video I did yesterday. Well, the relevant point of, of the mistake was yesterday, all right, so... I'm, we'll, we're going to talk about mature bulls versus immature bulls and, and their antler cycling. Well, the, the point is, is I started using, I didn't, I didn't even catch it. I started saying in there that, you know, a mature bull have about 200 day growing cycle of his antlers, antlers and blah, 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 blah. And I started going down the, and that's what I just stuck with. It was 200 days for a mature bull growing his antlers. That is incorrect. <laughs> that is not correct. A mature bull is going to be pushing that about 150 days, all right, plus or minus. So anyway, I wanted to, uh, yeah, 200 days is just excessive. I mean, that would be starting 
what in January and and then finishing in September or something like that. I don't know what, but it was it, it was way too excessive. It was two hundred days is uh, is not correct and needs to be corrected. So let's have a new and different discussion regarding antler cycling, and I will try to make sure that I don't slip up the two hundred days of whitetail gestation and put it in place of the 150 days of mature bull cycling. Because a younger bull, you know, a yearling or two and a half year old bull is going to be sitting around that 90 to maybe 100 days of growth, all right? But a big bull, a big mature bull, we're talking age-wise, we're not talking antler quality, just age-wise maturity, you're going to be pushing in that 150 or so days, all things being equal and giving optimum conditions to grow an antler. And that is the bulk of the discussion that I want to have today. So, excuse me, let's dive in. So let me make sure, first and foremost. All right, we got the phone on silent. Beverage there. I got my notes. So I will try to stick with my notes a little bit better today just so we can make this a little bit quicker and uh, get you out the door a little bit quicker. Or I guess you're just driving or watching this. Or It's up to you how much time you want to spend. But... All right, so, yeah, the game camera footage. A lot of people, a lot of people start to post pictures. Now, uh, the other thing, too, that I, I mentioned yesterday, and, and it was, it was I w yeah, anyway, doesn't matter. Doesn't matter. I need to forget that I did yes. You know how you do a project? Well, let's just put it this way. Have you, when you were in high school or in college and you had to do a paper, did you ever accidentally delete that you get you do your paper and you get like half or three quarters of it away or, or, or you know three quarters of it done or maybe you get the whole thing done and then all of a sudden something happens and you accidentally accidentally delete it or your computer crashes or didn't save properly now back when i was in high school and first part of college we didn't have the computers we did we had today you had floppy disks and all sorts of other stuff so you literally could lose your work that easy you do a whole bunch of work and your brain's just rocking and rolling and, and it's just flowing. The ideas are coming out and it's just, it's just laying down just smooth. And then something happens and you got to go back and redo it. Is it ever as good the second time as it was the first time? Heck no. I, not for me, anyway. Not for me. Usually, if I have to redo something, uh, it, it doesn't have the same flavor. I don't know. So, we'll see. But anyway, part of that was there is going to be an upcoming video about my views on game cameras and the... Uh, the re the reason why I, I don't I don't run game cameras in uh, in the summer, all right. And so I did. I, I made some notes on the computer here of you know basically game cameras for elk in the summer, and then the next bullet point was why I don't. Next one was where I would if I did. Okay, so where would I run a game camera if I did run a game camera? And then the pitfalls of, and there's a couple of them. There's a, there's a couple pitfalls that I feel that people trip themselves up into when they're running game cameras in the summer. And it's, it's a large reason of why I don't run game cameras in the summer. So 
we will tackle that uh, discussion in an upcoming. Now, I do run game cameras maybe in the fall uh, on water sources or wallows or whatever when I'm actively hunting. That I might do, but I don't don't normally do them in the summer. So that's going to be a separate video. All right, and we're not going to talk about the merits of game cameras now. What I did want to talk about was the fact is so we've got a, a we had some people sharing game camera footage and just unfortunately just not understanding how antlers grow um i think they're gonna they, they might end up being disappointed from what they're seeing now to what they see here in a, in a month and a half because there's there's some people that are thinking that the animals that they're getting on camera are going to put in significant uh growth length in tines, length in beams, mass, etc. And 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 it's that no, in most most areas, a lot of the growth is already done, or is at least shutting down to where you're not going to be putting uh, significant length into anything. And so let's we'll, let's talk. So I want to dive into what how an antler grows and and the antler growth cycle. All right, because there are, there's some misconceptions there, number one. Number two, had a really good question come in from uh, Hugh Findlay, who sent me an email and said, hey, listen, what about antler development? On a good year, all right? So, well, okay, let's just not even do that. Let me, let me I don't need to paraphrase it. Hold on. Maybe I do need to paraphrase it. Let's see what we got. Um, if I ha- if I can find it quickly, I don't need to spend a lot of time trying to find it if it's if it's buried. Because um, I wanted to read because it, it was very good. Here we go. I think this is it. Bingo. There we are. Antler growth following drought years, and then a heavy winter. All right, so Hugh Findlay wrote, Findlay, Findlay, how do you, how do you, how do you pronounce your last, F-I-N-D-L-A-Y, Findlay, right? I've heard Findlay, but that's not Findlay, that's Findlay. I'm going to say Findlay. If I'm butchering your name, I sincerely apologize. I'm just sounding it out phonetically, so I'm hoping it's right. All right, so hi, love your app and your approach. As a wildlife biologist, what are your thoughts on antler growth after a few years of drought? And then this is what I like to this is why I really like this question. I wanted to add it here. And then a big winter. Good spring feed from the snowpack, but it seems like the bulls are behind in their antler development. Normally I would not care, but my wife drew a southern Utah elk tag that takes many points. And looking at and I'm looking at alternatives. So that was the question, and the re- and I love that question. All right, now I was going to until people started posting pictures of of their elk online uh, on the game cameras and and, and the ne- and the necessity to talk about uh, antler cycling. I was just going to include include this question in the next video, but I think we'll just we'll we'll house it here. And and I like that question because. 
everybody knows everybody you know intuitively you're like oh if it's a drought year you're not going to you're not going to grow big antlers okay that that makes sense okay but what about these years like he just said okay we've got great forage quality right now we've got plenty of good spring green up but we've got some bulls in some areas where people are looking at them and they're like man it just doesn't seem like based on the age that I'm looking at that animal what I think that animal's age is it just doesn't look like he's doing that great why we've got great spring green up aha it goes beyond that and quite honestly we need to look at what happened this summer in the fall before all right so let's tackle this in two phases let's talk about antler cycling all right and in that discussion we're going to talk about immature younger bulls and mature bulls all right and then when we get through the antler cycling thing then let's talk about what's going on with probably with uh this question and it's a it's going to be a great discussion because excuse me we can use Arizona as a great example and and we can use Arizona from last year when they had a brutal drought and the antler quality was crap to this year where the antler development if you if there was a year to draw on Arizona elk tag this is especially early archery early rifle this is it the 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 antler development is absolutely phenomenal all right and there's a reason for that so let's start with the antler cycle right now it's a 365 day a year cycle so we could pick an arbitrary spot anywhere in the calendar to start but let's go ahead and start Let's start with it when they when they shed their velvet. All right. Let's start when them shedding their velvet, and we start with the first set of antlers. Okay, that we're we're starting with a clean set of antlers, and then we'll go around the calendar. So this is going to overlap some of what we talked about in the other videos as far as behavioral patterns on the landscape with bulls interacting with cows moving to to winter range and all that all right but we're going to just kind of focus this time so there's going to be some overlap you're going to you know if you've watched the other videos you're going to hear some overlap on on discussion but this one's just focusing on the antlers all right so when they shed their velvet they're all hard horned all right we need to split immature bulls from mature bulls Immature bulls, a lot of them are going to be already in and around those cow-calf groups. All right? And a lot of times, immature bulls are going to be shedding their velvet a lot later than maybe mature bulls will. And we'll get into that in a little bit more detail here in a minute. However, so it's not uncommon to see immature bulls, maybe with a little bit more velvet in August than you would say a big mature bull. But... They shed their velvet. The younger bulls, the younger age class bulls, are oftentimes going to be in and around those cow-calf groups early on. They like that social structure. They like the safety net. So your your spike, your your year and a half year old bulls, your two and a half year old bulls, and you could even really kind of push it maybe into that three and a half year old bull. He may not the three and a half year old bull may not be right in with the cows, but he's 
right there on the edges. He may be in the same basin. He may be utilizing the same uh, meadows and, and resource. He's just over on the edge a little bit. Whereas the spikes and the and the you know the three by threes, the four by fours, the, you know the small fives that are two and a half year old bulls, they might be right in with the cows and calves. Psychologically, that makes sense because those bulls are a little bit more immature and they need that safety blanket with the cows. They are with the cows oftentimes right on through the summer. However, it's those mature bulls that are off on their own in their own places away from those cow-calf groups and they're, little, they're either by themselves or in a small bachelor group. When they shed their velvet, you hear me talk all the time about that pre-rut move. When they make that move, towards those cow-calf groups, all right? Those bulls will go, will move, they'll shed, they will go hard horn, start to shed, they'll start rubbing, they'll start raking their antlers on stuff, not only to get rid of the velvet, but they'll also do it to just, just to, they've got a new set of hair, headgear. So they've got to play with it to kind of figure out what the geometry is. How big is it? How, where does, or where are all my points? And how, how much do my, you know, where do my main beams go? And they just want to play around with antlers or with, with vegetation and tree limbs and everything else, shrubs, just to get a feel for what the geometry of their headgear is, because that's going to play into their dominance interactions here coming up very shortly, because right on the heels of that, because their testosterone is starting to climb at this point. All right. And like climb significantly, all right? Increasing, I won't say exponentially, but darn real close if it's not, all right? Now, they're starting to do their, you know, sparring, picking, you know, figuring out their pecking order, who's who, who's doing what, where are they, how much, you know, and body mass goes a long way in that, but regardless, their antlers are going to be a, play, a, a large, uh, a significant component to them figuring their pecking order out. So that's all going to start happening. They're going to make that move to those cows. They're going to spend those times they're, they're, that time with the cows. And as we move into September, that's when cows will start cycling. Their test, the bull's testosterone is, is peaked. As we move out of September into October, depending... Now, okay, so the mature bulls are going to be running the harems largely. Young bulls are going to be pushed out to the edges if there's a mature bull in there. But if there is not a mature bull in there, you've heard me talk about this as well. Cow elk will fit, they cows will choose the bull that they want to be with. Yes, they will choose the, a mature bull if they have the choice. However, in some of our over-the-counter units across the West, it doesn't matter if you're Colorado or not, you can get into units where there really aren't that many quote-unquote mature bulls. But we have a hell of a lot of younger age class or even age class bulls in that three and a half, four and a half, maybe five, maybe, maybe we push to five and a half. But we've got a lot of two and a half, three and a half, maybe four and a half year old bulls. A lot of age, even age structure. A two and a half year old bull behaves a lot different than a three and a half, and a three and a half behaves a lot different than a four and a half. And so if you're in one of those situations where you have a lot of younger age class bulls, those cows, they just don't say, well, there's no mature bull, so I'm not going to breed this year. No, they're going to breed. They're just going to settle for a younger age class bull. All right. So, and that's going to play a part here in a minute. All right. Let's just assume we have a good bull to cow ratio and it, and it's, and I don't even want to, for me, it's arbitrary on what that actual number looks like because all I'm going to assume is let's assume 
that every cow is bred on the first estrus cycle. All right. So they come into, and again, we're talking about, let's just talk about optimal conditions right now. Everybody has good, good high body fat. All right. So the cows have 9% plus body fat, which means they can cycle on time. We don't need to worry about, um, I guess we could talk about that a little bit. I mean, we don't, I go back and look at, or listen to the rethinking the rut video series. Again, remember what I said. Once a cow reaches a percentage of body fat, she's the the flip is switched to where she can cycle on on time, so to speak. But there are several things, some of them including that are related to bulls and their antlers. All right, there are several things that may actually encourage those those cows to cycle in early. Let's just dis- discard that for right now. Let's just all things being equal. The cows cycle, say, in September and early October, and every cow on the landscape is bred by, let's just arbitrarily say, October 15th. No, let's not even do that. Let's say arbitrarily every, shoot, let's just be arbitrary. Every cow is bred uh, by October 1st. October 5th, that's probably more likely. October 5th to 10th, somewhere in there. Every cow on the landscape in this particular area has been bred. All right? Once that is done, this is where we start to separate the men from the boys. When we're talking about antler cycling. All right? At this point, everything's been fairly even. A young bull is going to have his testosterone go up. A mature bull is going to have his testosterone go up. A younger bull might have his testosterone go up a little bit later than a mature bull. But as we come into September, mature bull versus younger bull, their testosterone is growing. A younger bull may carry, may be delayed on his antler development. He may have a little bit more velvet a little bit later than a mature bull but they're both going to shed their velvet. They're both going to go hard horned. They're both going to be starting to get interested in ladies. It all depends at that point on age class and body mass on who gets the breeding rights and who gets to control the harem. Which bull do the cows in this area choose? All right. But when we get to the point where the breeding is done, that's where we can start to see a, a with the, just kind of the the men and the boys kind of start to separate themselves, both literally and figuratively. From from literally from the physical, they start leaving. The mature bulls will go off and they will winter in their own little bachelor groups or individually, and the younger bulls will stay with that cow calf group and start you know move to the winter range with them. All right. So yes, they will separate themselves at that point. But if you watch behaviorally, you can see something else as well. And that is during, if you were talking about a mature bull and quite honestly, you know, we could probably lump in a four and a half year old bull, but let's just say we're talking about realistically a six year old bull or older is what I would consider a a mature bull. Five, four and five year olds, they're contenders. They're absolutely, they know what the hell they're doing, but you, they, they can float between what I'm about to say. 
So six and older is what I'm going to consider. Just arbitrarily, I'm going to consider that to be a more mature animal. Three and under, absolutely, I'm going to classify as a, you know, immature bull psychologically and how they behave on the landscape in the fall, late fall into winter. And then those four and a half, you know, the four and five-year-old bulls, they kind of, yeah, they can, they could waffle back and forth in between there, just behaviorally and and, and how, uh, from a pecking order standpoint, what's been going on in there, then in that area. For instance, if that area, a five-year-old bull is one of the older bulls in the area, he very well may portray, or uh, yeah, he may he may end up being, you know, his behavior may be more closely uh, similar to what a six to eight-year-old bull might be. He goes in there, he controls the breeding, he does a whole pile of breeding, the, all the cows get bred, there's no more sexual stimulation on the, he can't smell any more cows coming into estrus and so he decides to just you know bachelor group up and and walk off he very well may do that or maybe there's a whole bunch of eight-year-old bulls in this area six to seven to eight-year-old bulls or older they're the ones controlling the cows he gets relegated to the you know the sidelines as far as the satellite bull goes well then all of a sudden those mature bulls that had all the play they realize well the cows are done we're gonna move off but he just decides he wants to linger and well I, I'm going to see. I, I, I'm going to double check. And so he stays in and around those cow-calf uh, groups a little bit longer. The reason why that is important is because the longer... Now, testosterone is the driver, all right? Testosterone is the driver, the primary driver of this antler engine, antler development engine. Yes, there's a bunch of other hormones that, that are, are involved with it, um, but... Photoperiod is the is the main engine, and testosterone is yeah the the, the drive shaft, if you will. All right, not a bad analogy, not perfect, but good enough. All right, so because testosterone, okay, testosterone is largely run by photoperiod. However. So again, we're talking photo period. We're talking about the annual cycle of how many, how much daylight versus dark. In the summer, you got the summer solstice, longest day in June. You've got the fall equinox and the spring equinox where you've got 12 hours of light, 12 hours of darkness. And then the winter, you have the winter solstice, which is the longest uh, or the shortest day, the longest night, right? That's that circadian rhythm of that, that photo period. Um is the driver of the hormones. However, testosterone can be influenced by, essentially, sexual stimulation. Meaning, photoperiod is going to drive that testosterone level up. All right, so once we get done, you know, the, 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 the fall, or excuse me, fall, summer solstice, longest days. As soon as we get over that hump, and the days start getting a little shorter, all of a sudden, that's where you start seeing testosterone start waking up. And as we roll out of June and we start rolling into July, all of a sudden, now testosterone's like, hey, yeah, we ought to be doing something. And so here we are in July, and then we start rolling into August, and I mean, all of a sudden, that just it just skyrockets. The amount of testosterone peaks, 
end of August into September, okay? It's at one of its lowest, po- it's at almost its lowest point in June, you know, May, June, and it's its highest point in September. That's not a long time in between there. So it just ramps up hard based on photo period. Melatonin, okay, we're going to keep it simple. Based on photo pillar, photo period, several things happen, testosterone ramps up. If the group of cows in a particular area are bred on their first cycle and there is a good number of mature bulls in the area that are able to breed those cows on their first cycle and impregnate those cows on the first cycle, then all breeding pheromones from the cows and scent in the air from the cows is done. It's done. And the bulls will know that and the bulls are done. Okay? The mature bulls are done. You never see a mature bull kind of, you know, if you watch, all right, and, and you can watch this in the gallery video. I, I, there, the gallery section, I've got a video of a, of a bull breeding a cow. And I wanted to show you that because I wanted to show you what happens from the standpoint of here's how cows go about flirting with a bull. Here's how cows go about engaging a bull. Here's what a bull does with a cow. And here's how a bull breeds her and what happens after. All right. What we're going to focus on is the after. Watch that video. When that bull gets out, he she finally stops and stands. He gets up and he mounts her. As soon as he impregnates her, his feet haven't even touched the ground yet. His front feet, he hasn't even rolled off of her yet. And his he's done. Mind somewhere else. Who's next? They don't linger around the cow and, you know, hey, did, was that all right for you? Did that work? Did, 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 did you, did it take? Did, do I, you want to try it again? Do we, do we need to try? Do we need to do more? You want me to stick around? You want me to wait and kind of see? No, no, they don't do that. It's a bam, done, I'm out. That bull is, I mean, he, is, he just turns, he may be there for a day or two locked on that cow while she's coming in. Because he's like, I'm, I'm, I'm right here. I'm ready. I'm ready. I'm ready. I'm ready. I'm ready. She finally stands. He breeds her, and he's done. Bye bye. I'm out. So when all the other cows in the area have been bred. Oh, and I guess the other thing too I mentioned previous or in my previous take on this was part of it has to do with uh, visual cues. But most of the time, bulls just, they know. I mean, they just, they know what they're doing. And, and they get done with themselves, shall we say. And they really don't care after that. If for some reason they were shooting blanks, then maybe, yes, that cow would cycle back in. What, 28, 20, 28 days later or whatever. And she may throw some more pheromones out there and maybe need to get bred. But most of the time, no, that's not happening. A mature bull is usually not throwing blanks. They're pretty viable sperm. And they mount that cow, breeder, 
they climb, they get off, and I mean, you can see when a cow is bred, and and I mean, they make an absolute physical four point stance with their head down, like ooh, what the who, what just happened? Ooh, I think that was yeah, that should work. Yeah, ooh, okay, they'll stand there with their head kind of down, four, you know, their legs just kind of braced, ears kind of low, and they'll just kind of stand there, kind of dazed for a little bit. All right. So there are some visual cues that uh, that a bull is going to cue on, but most of the time they just don't care, all right? I hate to say it, but that's just the way it is. They don't care. They get done with their little action, and then they're gone, okay? Well, when that cow is bred, all the pheromones shut down. So if you look at all the cows in the landscape all in, in a particular area, all of, them, all of them get bred, well, their pheromones shut down. The mature bulls know that. And they will move off. I've literally watched, um, this is, I mean, this has happened now numerous times where in some populations, Rocky Mountain, uh, Rocky Mountain National Park is a great one. I bet you Yellowstone is very similar in some cases, but Rocky Mountain National Park and some of those places, I've literally watched those bulls head up the mountain in their bachelor groups at the end of September and completely walk away from the cows. Why? Because they know they're done. The cows have been bred. The number of bulls on the landscape per the number of cows is such, and the number of mature bulls on the landscape is such that a lot of those cows are stimulated to come in. My, I would argue, and I will stand on this argument until someone shows me some hard data, I really do stand on observations that show that a lot of those cows in Rocky Mountain National Park get bred maybe earlier in September, well, they get bred in September. Let's put it that way. There's a handful that might be bred in early October, but a lot of those cows get bred in, in September. And if you've got localized, you know, not isolated, but localized pockets, that those cows are done breeding by September 25th, and then there's no other sexual stimulation on the landscape, and you've got these young, aggressive, you know, there's so many, I don't want to convolute this too much. There's some behavioral things in there that interplay as well because you get a mature bull that's been running all, you know, breeding, 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 fighting, you know, defending. He starts to get run down in his energy. Let's just say 98% of all the uh, the cows are out of heat and maybe there's a new uh, yearling here or a cow here, a young cow here or a new one that pops over there. Okay, if, if the bulk is done and he, and he thinks they're done, you may end up having some younger age class bulls that are not run down He's run down and weak. They're not run down and weak. All of a sudden, now the power dynamic is different to where they can actually start beating up or actually influencing the behavior of that mature bull a little bit more. So there may be some other incentives for that bull to retreat up the side of the mountain and recover. However, sexual stimulation, once that shuts down, those mature bulls, we're out. We don't, the cows are done. We don't need to mess with them. However, the younger age class, but okay, so... Keep that in mind. Sexual stimulation for the mature bull is done. And it's done early. As early as it's allowed based on reproductive cycling of the cows. Okay, It's done early. Okay, A younger bull, however, especially a bull that's been pushed out of the group by these mature bulls and hasn't... Let's just say he hasn't had his sexual frustration satiated... Or, or, you know, quelled, if you will, all right? Well, now all of a sudden, A, either the mature bulls are getting weaker and, and these younger bulls can push them around, 
or the big bulls just decide they're going to head out, we're done. All of a sudden now, there's no big bulls around here to mess with me, and I've got all these cows. Woohoo! It's my time. And how many times do you go out there and you in, in early October, right on through October, and you'll get into these absolutely bugling fests? Now, some of those bugling fests might absolutely be related to the fact that maybe you have a cow coming into heat. Maybe you've got, and maybe it's a yearling cow. That's she's cycling late. You know, she was born early. Finally, gets be, you know body condition, and maybe she can cycle in the first time in her life in October or whatever. So maybe there's these little blips of, of breeding activity or, or estrus uh, cows coming in. You know, cows coming into heat, and that those pheromones hitting the landscape, and so that's why maybe you'll see some of that bugling frenzy. But a lot of times that bugling frenzy is based on the fact that you've got a younger bull in there that's just excited that he's got the cows to himself. And now it's his time. <laughs> I'm going to bugle. Ah, mine. Okay. Well, you have those younger age class bulls in and around those cows that are inexperienced or they're just picking up on little dribs and drabs or, or they think they're, they're picking up on things. Again, they're young. They don't know any better. Their sexual stimulation is going to be, it could, could, and often, I would argue, often is extended longer than those bulls that just come in and breed and, and go and leave. So mature bulls leave early. The younger age class bulls stick with those cows, but they linger in their activity and, and their perceived sexual interaction with those cows. And so they're, because testosterone can be artificially held at a high level based on continued or prolonged sexual stimulation, a younger age class bull's testosterone may linger a little higher, a little longer than a mature bull. All right, so let's work. So they start to deviate there, all right? Both age and behavior and also test possibly testosterone. So now we move, we start moving into winter, all right? Bulls are trying to just eat, recover their body condition, okay? And this is, this is going to be key here in a little bit, body condition, all right? So they're going to try to recover that body condition. As we move into the winter, now winter severity can also influence when an antler drops off. But typically it is those hormones and hormone levels that stimulate when the pedicle starts to want to regenerate. And when it wants to regenerate, it has to dissolve that inner, you know, that interface between the antler and the pedicle. So hormones are the driver of that as well. If you look at testosterone and other hormones, it's not it's not unlike what it's in the human body. Hormones will ramp up, but then when the the input of that hormone generation is cut off, it takes a little bit for that hormone to work itself out of the body, out of the bloodstream and out of out of any effect that it is giving inside the body. Well, testosterone in bulls are, is no, no different. So there's, I won't say it's a fixed timeline of X number of days, but it, it's kind of like a fixed timeline of an X number of days where it just slowly decreases 
over time and just kind of just keeps decreasing, decreasing, decreasing to where when we finally get down to that low point, the hormone cycling, we get through the winter solstice, okay, the shortest day. Now the days start getting a little longer again, incrementally, a little bit, a little bit, a little bit, all right? Hormones change, antlers shed. Now, there are some people that say mature bulls shed early, earlier than younger bulls, all right? And, and, and you can see this. You can, you know, people are out there picking up these gigantic sheds in, you know, March, February sometimes, in March, versus you could be going out and hunting in, you know, turkey hunting in the mountains in April and you can find young bulls and especially spikes that still have hard, you know, hard antler or you've got these 3 by 3s and 4 by 4s in, in April that are still, or 5 by 5s that are still have their antlers in April. Okay, those age classes, again, their hormones are going to cycle a little different. But a lot of people say, well, the, the mature bulls, because their antlers are so big and they're heavy, they cleave off. Or, okay, well, yeah. That, abs- I think... Uh, the weight of the antler encourages antler drop to occur at the earliest possible moment that the hormones have dictated. Does that make sense? I hope that makes sense. That made sense to me. The weight of an antler, the heavier the antler, big, heavy, honking it. We're going to use this one here in a little bit. All right, this one is a three mid 330s bull but is exceptionally heavy okay unbelievable mass and i mean he's dense it is heavy all right so you take a mature bull sorry you take a mature bull like that and a heavy antler like that yes the weight of that antler is going to be pulling on that pedicle the joint in that pedicle, where the pedicle meets the antler, and that interface, that bony interface, the weight of that antler is going to be pulling down by gravity, and it is going to encourage that antler to fall off at the earliest possible moment that the hormones have dictated or allowed based on the cycle of that dissolving of that interface the the hormones are going to start regenerating that pedicle part of that is dissolving that connectivity between last year's antler and what's coming in and what's going to be new and that's when it cleaves off all right the hormone cycling for bulls mature bull and a young bull are going to be slightly different all right some of that's just based on age but i would argue that a lot of let's just say some, some of it's based on age, but I would argue that also some of it's based on what we just talked about in October. When a bull decide, when a bull says I'm done and there's no more sexual stimulation and he walks off, he, for lack of a better term, arbitrarily just shut off his sexual stimulation and now testosterone can fall the the hormones hormone cycling in his body can allow that testosterone to fall as rapidly as his physiology and his body will allow 
and, and hormone cycling and photoperiod, melatonin, blah, 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 all those things cycling, he's done early. It's allowed to fall as fast and as soon as possible. Versus, which means he's probably going to achieve a low level of testosterone as early as possible. Versus younger bulls who stick around those cows and calves and artificially maintain a higher level of sexual stimulation for right or wrong, all right? Their testosterone stays artificially higher, a little bit longer. And then when they're finally done, subconsciously they're like, okay, we're done. Then their testosterone starts falling as fast as their body will allow. But again, it happens over time. So you can have this kind of delay in when antlers start to regenerate. Mature bulls are going to do that earlier. Younger bulls are going to do that later. If you look, and here's where I'm going to correct, I'm going to make sure I say this right. So let me just get it out there. A young bull, year and a half, two and a half year old bull, you're looking at about 90 to about 100 days, plus or minus-ish, 90 to 100 days or so of antler growth. That's his physiological potential based on his hormone cycling and his age on what he can grow. A mature bull, because they cycle a little bit earlier and they drop earlier, they start earlier, they can run up to about 150 days or so, all right, of antler growth. The key here is age, well, I can't even say the key. When we start getting into summer and we start looking at pictures on game cameras or, you know, there's a, there's a number of photographers online uh, on social media these days that are posting a whole pile of different uh, pictures of bulls because everybody loves pictures of bulls. So you look at those pictures and you'll see different bulls and different ages and, and et cetera, et cetera. If you look at them, you're going to see some differences in their progression. But if you start to pay attention at mature bulls, you're going to see that a lot of times, and it, there's, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to qualify this here in a minute, a lot of times, most of those mature bulls are going to be, and, and again, we can kind of lump that five, I, I know I said six and up. At this point, we might even just say four and up, all right? Those older age class bulls oftentimes are done growing length, width, you know, length of tines, width of antlers, length of main memes. All right, most of the time, those mature bulls are going to be largely done by middle end of July, to where a lot of times you can actually see bulls and I've got video footage of it and a lot of other people started seeing it you know it used to be people would talk about all the time about the bulls shedding their velvet in August I've got video footage of, of bulls up in the Estes Valley shedding their velvet at the end of July like as in this upcoming week next week 
they'll be up there just shredding pine trees, going up to somebody's, you know, beautiful decorative blue spruce and just absolutely ripping the bejeebas out of it, just shredding velvet. Because he's uh, he got done growing early in uh, July, say maybe July 10th, maybe July 15th, he was done and mineralized. Well, no, sorry, sorry, sorry. Done growing. And now the next 10 days, two weeks, is just nothing but that antler turning into solid hard bone. The only thing that's being pumped into that antler is minerals and solidifying it, okay? You can see a lot of those mature bulls, those those older age class bulls being done in middle of July and then actually going hard horned shed you know shedding their velvet end of July very beginning of August your three-year-old four-year-old bulls maybe your five-year-old bulls maybe they stop growing at you know the end of July and then they finally go hard horned and start shedding you know shedding velvet you know August 10th 5th 10th 15th maybe whereas your younger age class bulls two and a half year old bulls and and three year old bulls or whatever maybe they they shed their velvet in middle to end of August all right just because of the delay and and when they're their growth cycle and their hormone cycle all right but as they start getting close to the end of their growth cycle they slow down they don't just crank 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 oped off it's a it's it's a taper just like a bell-shaped curve it'll start growing and then it just starts cranking when we're in march and and early summer it's just i mean their growth hormones in that body are just absolutely cranking so when we go from march the spring equinox till the summer solstice their body the physiological response of their body is just maximum growth growth hormones are cranking at this time, testosterone's low, growth hormones are cranking. So they are chucking down as much food as they, they're hungry, they're chucking down as much food as they can get, and they are just, just all things being equal, in good conditions, they are cranking maximum effort in maximum resources on body and antlers. But once we start getting to that, once we hit about that summer solstice, that is when daylight start we we go over that hump daylight starts to decrease gate okay, starts off slowly at first then when we finally get towards you know september that's when it's we're losing daylight quickly but so it starts you know end of june as we creep into the beginning of july that's when those daylight starts changing that's when the testosterone starts ramping up and just that response of that testosterone can start shutting down that growth hormone and that's when the antlers are like well okay we got to start shutting down we got to start mineralizing boom, boom boom okay and here we are back again in the summer so i'm gonna let's let me segue to this antler real quick to talk about the game camera footage okay in the pictures you guys are seeing and how to tell whether or not your animal that you're looking at is still growing or if he's shut down number number one take a look at your date hopefully on your game camera you have accurate dates all right so if you've got a picture of an animal in june okay quite honestly yes that animal's probably still growing if you've got a picture of an animal in middle of july now you start thinking if it's a big ant 
now's where you start looking at characteristics of the antler and the growth to determine how close that animal is to being done. And here's, here's the key. Okay. So, yeah, let's just use this. All right, I'm going to use this third time right here. All right. Here's a little, here's something that some people don't realize. Antler, antlers grow out of the pedicle, but they grow from the tip. All right. They do not grow from the base. So when an animal starts growing this antler, they're not pushing up antler from the base. They're not growing here and pushing this point out. It's always being added to the tip. So it'll, so it'll be, you know, block this off. So you'll have this little bulb here and then they'll add some more and add some more, add some more, add some more, add some more. The blood vessels are pull, coming in and they're just add, they're stacking material onto the end of these tines, all right? All the tines and the main beam. They're just stacking more material at the tip, all right? So when you look at a picture of a velvet bull, pay attention to the tip. Pay attention to a couple things, actually. Number one, is it tapering? If the tine is tapering, it's slowing down and it's shutting down. If it is pointy and the, the color of the velvet down here is the same color up here, that is done. It's done growing, and the only thing that's happening now is that is mineralizing. It's turning, it's it's getting stacked in there with all the calcium, phosphorus, magnesium, and it's just stacking and just cramming it, and they're mineralizing out, turning to hard bone. The front tines get done before the third, the third gets done before the fourth, the fourth gets done before the fifth, and the end of the main beam. They grow from the tip. And they grow back. So because of that, the front tines are gonna oftentimes be the first times that first tines that finish their growth and mineralize out. And then this, then this, and go and, and so forth. So look at that taper. Is there a taper in it? Number one. And what is the color of the tip of that velvet? If it is uniform. it's most likely still growing and more importantly a lot of times you'll actually see this beam this time being uniform and then all of a sudden the end it's almost like it's it's a little bulbous it's it's almost like it's it's fatter than the this part of the beam if you look at the tip of that velvet a lot of times you're going to see it's it's a it's a gray or it's a dark gray I mean, heck, in whitetails, or in, in, well, I can't even say whitetails, in in hot weather environments, in some cases, they're growing so fast that there's not even any hair on that, almost, almost, like there's no hair on the velvet. They can almost look like they're black. They're just shiny black or dark gray caps on, you know, a little bulbous knob on the end of these tines because it's, the dark coloration is because it's just loaded with blood vessels and those blood vessels, the blood vessels, are just, they're just cranking blood flow through there. Stack, 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 stack. I mean, they're at maximum overdrive as far as production, okay? So if that time or bump, we can even look at the fifth point, 
a lot of times you'll see people talking about their you know the sore points or the fifth point all right make sure that's on on the screen put that i just set it right there i want to ding up my table per se so a lot of people are focusing on the fifth point and the sore points at this time of the year all right well sore points a lot of times are going to be tapering and you're going to see that the tip of the at this time of year middle of july a lot of bulls are going to have a taper to that antler and they're going to have a a, a tan you know say the the velvet is a just a nice tan color the tip is a tan color okay the sword point's done it's not going to be growing much much if any length the fifth point is where a lot of people i think get tripped up and they think well okay i see a little i it's just a little crab coming out here and this is round and this is round okay well if it if it's round that's one thing if it's round and dark and it has that gray coloration to it okay then it's actively growing and it's going to add some length but if it just comes up here and it's just round or it's just kind of it's just looks like it may be uniform thickness but you see that tip is kind of just that tan color you start paying attention because I'll get I can almost guarantee you you may grow maybe maybe another inch on that time it's not going to add a lot all right so folks that are taking pictures of these younger age class bulls this time of year and the back main beam is a little crab just a little little two little lobes he may end up being a, a small six. He's gonna be. A, he's going to end up being a small six, but it's unlikely he's gonna be throwing this gargantuan whale tail. All right, because if he was gonna grow a gargantuan whale tail, he would have already had significant growth by the end of July. All right, most everything is shutting down by the end of July, the beginning of uh, beginning of August. You're not adding a lot of growth to the animals you're seeing. All right. Now you say, okay, well, who cares? You know, you're right. It, it, who cares? Put this back. You're absolutely right. Who cares? I mean, if if you like the looks of that bull and you like the fronts, you like the thirds, you like the sword point, and he's going to be a, a six or whatever. Who cares? The issue is those people that start getting excited and they think they're seeing one animal, but they're expecting it to become a completely different an animal that's another year or two years in age class it's senior all right an animal that's a 280 bull at the end you know towards the well let's just say an animal that's a 280 bull in the middle of july is not going to become a 330 bull he's he's just he's not a 280 bull in the middle of july might be a two at 290 bull Okay, but most of the time, by the time it's done growing, might be a 290 bull, depending on the age class, depending on the bull you're dealing with and the growth conditions. So the point behind all that is just to say, don't, just so you understand what you're looking at when you're looking at your game camera footage. Look at those tines. Look at the end of those tines. Is it round? Is it shiny and dark, like dark gray? Or, you know, is it a gray or dark gray or almost black and shiny? Okay, then that's going to add some serious, that's going to add some length. Or at the very least, is the tine coming up here and, and the, the end of it is the, at minimum the same diameter or a little bit bigger? Okay, it's it's growing length. But if that tine's starting to taper, she's done. She's shutting down. And if that tip of the tine is the same coloration, 
Again, the amount of re the amount of resources the animal is putting to the tip of that is shutting down. Now it's just going to be adding uh, minerals to harden everything up as it goes. All right, so that's kind of the antler cycle from a production standpoint that goes on through the years. And there is a difference between younger bulls and older bulls. Again, older bulls have about because of just when they start, they start early. They they can grow their antlers for about 150 150 days out of the year. Younger bulls are going to be much less than that. Here's where nutrition comes in and body condition comes in to play on what they end up growing. Just because a mature bull has 150 days to grow antler does not mean he's going to throw his maximum representation that his genetics will allow for his age. Not at all. And just because it's a great green, you know, awesome green year doesn't mean that all of a sudden now a two and a half year old bull suddenly can grow the antlers that a five year old bull can grow. It's not how it works. There's some genetic, genetic things in play but the environmental factors and their effects on body condition are huge on what that animal ends up throwing, all right? Now, intuitively, a lot of people know if it's a drought year, you're not gonna grow great antlers, okay? Well, it makes sense. Animals need food. They need food to, they need resources to be able to, to grow big antlers. Yes, they do. But it does go a little bit beyond that. All right, so let's talk about that. Just because you have a lot of good green up this year doesn't mean that that animal is going to throw his max potential. What I tell people when every anybody asks me about you know my prediction for antler production or you know how do the what do you think the bulls are going to look like this year and blah 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 or next year blah blah blah. The first thing that I think that you need to look at is. What did the late summer, early fall vegetation conditions look like on the landscape where those bulls were? And especially where their winter winter range is going to be. <coughs> How much moisture was it she was was realized on the landscape in July, August, in September? How much vegetative growth were there, was there in those months? And how much forage production was there to set the stage for their winter range and getting them through the winter? Because, again, everybody knows that when the growing season is piss poor, you know, we have a, a dry spring, a dry summer, that body condition is not going to be great. Well, the reason why that can can be exacerbated is because if they didn't have food going into the fall to begin with, they were set up for failure right from the get-go, regardless what regardless of what happens now. And then given the type of spring we have and how that spring plays out can also set them up for failure or success depending. All right, so let's talk about that. So Antler production 
on a bull is very similar to calf production in a cow. Like we talk about in Rethinking the Rut, a cow needs to achieve 9%, roughly 9% body fat in order to normally cycle into an estrus cycle, okay? To become reproductively viable, to cycle into estrus. If she does not achieve 9% body fat, then she's either going to come in late or she may, if she, her body condition is really bad, she might, might not cycle at all, all right? But once she achieves that 9% of body fat, she's good to go. And that her hormones can cycle normally and allow her to cycle into an ester, on a, a normal ester cycle for her. All the other factors that we talked about in that, that video series aside, we're not going to talk about bulls, we're not going to talk about calves at size, we're not going to, uh, we're just talking about body condition. That is the, that's the mark. That's, that's the threshold right there. 9%, we're good to go. The flip is switched. She's allowed to cycle normally. If you look at the maintenance of body condition, if I'm and I'm stretching here, I'm going back to my animal nutrition days. But if I remember correctly, we're looking at about a 14% roughly. If they can achieve 14% crude protein, of course you want fats and stuff in there too. But if they can achieve about that 14% crude protein in their diet, they can maintain body condition. Well, they're getting that crude protein in their diet from the vegetation that they're eating. Different vegetation is going to have different levels of protein and and as that plant, okay, again, everybody talks about when the plant is growing. That's fine. But when we're talking about late fall into winter and early spring, we're not talking about growing plants. We're talking about dead plants. All right, dead material. Now, maybe we're talking, you could say some, you know, for like shrubs, twigs, like service berry, uh, bitter brush, uh, mountain mahogany, some of those other stuff. Some of those shrubs that we know are good winter range shrubs for our western deer and elk species, okay? And whatever other shrubs in your neck of the woods that, that maybe they like chewing on, all right? Yes, in shrubs, you've got those buds that are lying dormant. You've got that um, inner bark. and I mean, there, there's material in there that might be green, still but we're still talking about oftentimes late fall into winter and early spring before things start growing again the dead material or the material or even from a shrub it's not dead but the the material that they're eating is oftentimes going to be generally less than that 14 12 to 14 percent crude protein depending on the species of plant it may be much less than that. All right. Now, elk are grazers. They're pretty decent grazers. If we look at the hierarchy of grazing animals, you got bison are the, probably the most efficient. They can chuck down all sorts of roughage, all sorts of crap. Excuse me, and they can do pretty well on it. Their gut back, their, the 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 community of bacteria in their gut can break down a whole lot of crap. Okay. And then next, now obviously they respond well to good high quality food. But they have the ability, the size of the stomach and the bacteria that they have allow them to digest some really rough stuff, okay? Next on that hierarchy are probably domestic cattle. Domestic cattle can chuck down some real rough stuff and they can do all right with it. Then come elk, 
All right? So elk can deal with roughage. They can deal with dead material. They can deal with some less than high quality stuff and do okay. But they still need to have as much good quality stuff as possible. All right? So if you take a plant like, let's, we've got two different plants that I th- in the West I think do really well for elk as far as their body condition, especially in that Arizona. Especially Arizona, you know, northern New Mexico, well, western New Mexico, even into, well, it doesn't matter. Arizona, New Mexico, Colorado, even maybe parts of of Utah, uh, Wyoming. Has to do with elevation. So lower elevations, drier climates, blue grama, blue grama grass, black grama grass. You can even call, you can maybe throw in side oats grama in there. I'm not a big fan of side oats, but blue grama by far is one of the best warm season grasses that elk can get on. Now, warm season, let's just talk about that real quick. Warm season versus cool season. Warm season means that grass that plant grows during the heat of the summer. Cool season means that it likes the cooler temperatures of spring and fall. That's when they grow. Now, obviously, maybe not obviously, sorry, maybe not obviously, cool season grasses, they start growing in the spring, because they come out of dormancy out of the winter. They start growing in the spring. They grow. They set seed. They go slightly dormant. And what I mean by slightly dormant is that the plant doesn't die. It just doesn't really put out a lot of, of above ground growth. A lot of times it's just maintaining and growing root structure. Maintaining the top you know, vegetative, vegetative matter that's there. And it's just developing root structure. Root structure. So it just kind of sits there dormant, goes through the hot part of the of the summer, and then in the fall, if all of a sudden if the the, temp, the temperatures start to decrease again, but if all of a sudden we start getting rain, like monsoon rains, those rains coming up through, and we start getting really good fall, you know, even late July, August rains, September rains, October rains, early October, and the and the temperature still warm enough to, for you know growing that plant will revitalize and start throwing actual new vegetative growth above ground. It's not going to set seed again. It's just going to put new growth out there. Okay. little segue. This is where cattle grazing can be beneficial, especially early season cattle grazing. If you've got a lot of vegetation on the landscape, let that cool season grass grow, start to set seed allow those cattle to come in there and graze it down or if you've got a lot of elk it'll do the same thing elk or cattle will come in and graze that down they'll graze all that biomass off well then that plant just kind of sits there yeah most of that that biomass is gone but it's still alive and it's just sitting there waiting then fast forward to september and the rains start coming and that plant starts growing again, well, now there's no dead material. There's very little, if any, dead material in that. Meaning, every time an elk grabs a mouthful, maybe in the spring, you've got all you've got a big bunch of mix of dead and growing. Early spring, when they take a bite of that, maybe it's 50% dead crappy material, 50% good stuff. Now, elk can be selective and pick around there. But as it's coming in, maybe they're just getting a little bit. Maybe it's 50-50. And then as that plant really starts going cranking, it starts getting maybe 80% or more or 90% or 100% of everything they're grabbing is good. All right? Is high quality, high digestibility. All right? Okay. That plant grows up. Now it goes dormant. 
that material is going to stay green, but it, the, the quality of vegetation is going to deteriorate over time. It's going to have a lot of lignin in it. It's going to be really rough, very fibrous. It's going to take a lot of energy to break that down. Okay. There still may be nutrients in it, but as that summer progresses, the nutrient quality is just going to constantly decrease. So if that crown of grass is sticking up and then the grass tries to start to grow again, now we're in a situation where elk wants to come in there and graze it. Now they're going to go in there and they're, they're going to try to nibble the highest quality grass, but they're going to get some old roughage, crappy stuff in there as well. If you have cattle come in there or elk in the spring, come in there and graze the, the bejeebas out of it and remove the vast majority of all that old stuff and allow it to sit dormant. And then when the new stuff starts to sprout, man, the forage quality that those elk realize in the fall is incredible because every time they take a mouthful, it's highly digestible, highly nutritious, and very tasty. So they just bump, 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 and they can just go, and it's just maximizing the benefit that they're getting out of every mouthful, all right? So cool season grasses like cool weather. Fescues, like Idaho fescue or Arizona fescue is a great example. That's a great forage for elk. Because when it does cure out, it's going to grow. It's going to pull up nutrients out of the soil. All right. When it does cure out, it's going to cure out fairly decently. It's going to have a decent amount of nutritional quality to it. All right. Blue grandma, which is a warm season, grows in the heat of the summer. Same thing. High protein, highly digestible. Okay. Very tasty. So, You've got both of those things on the landscape. If in, a, in a healthy landscape, you want both of those things going. You want both of those things cranking optimally. And if you've got cattle on the landscape and cattle are being managed in a proper manner, it can actually be a benefit, at least for the cool season grasses. Warm season grasses, once the warm season grasses come up and they go to seed, they're done. The biomass that they grow is the biomass that they grow. It's done after that. So I really do like, this is just my personal opinion, I really do like cattle grazing on cool season grasses right before that grass is getting ready to, to grow. And I like cattle grazing on warm season grasses very early in the growth cycle or just pull them off and just don't, don't put them back on there until in the winter just for a general biomass type of deal. Because, like I said, once blue gram, once a warm season grass grows, it's done. It goes to seed, it's done. It's not going to grow up much more vegetative matter after that, okay? So you got those two things going, and both of them cure out. Both those cool season and warm season will cure out, meaning when they go dormant and they dry up, how much stuff do they store in that above-ground material, or do they just pull it all back down into their roots? Some, some plants will do that. The vegetation that sits up here is worthless. Absolutely utter worthless. Okay? Not so for blue grandma, fescues. Blue grasses are, are not too bad. They're much better when they're growing. All right? But Idaho fescue or Arizona fescue and blue grandma are found throughout the vast majority of elk range, especially from, Mon or from, from Wyoming. Colorado, New Mexico, Arizona, Utah, and they're awesome, all right? 
when those grow, the amount of vegetation that they sit when, once they once winter starts hitting and everything goes dormant, that amount of biomass now becomes the grocery store for the elk on the landscape. That's what they have. The more that grew in the fall, in the summer for blue grandma, and the fall for fescue, or cool season, the amount that that grew, it's not going to change from here on out. It's only going to get. It's only going to decrease. All right. As an elk, and this is the same across all ruminants, but as an elk moves into the winter, so in the summer, they're going to be having, they're going to be eating a lot of highly digestible, oftentimes higher moisture content, but highly digestible material. Their stomach bacteria is going to adjust, is going to grow and adjust to that to help maximize the efficiency on digesting that. Goodness gracious, my face is all itchy. Ugh, mosquitoes have been bad out here lately. Anyway. Their gut bacteria is going to adjust to that and allow them to maximize the, in, the, the amount of nutrients they're getting out of that vegetation. But as that vegetation slowly starts to go dormant and become coarser, more lignin, more fibrous, more difficult to digest, that stomach bacteria is going to start to shift and it's going to start to shift to a bacteria uh, complex or a community that allows them to digest that more rough, fibrous material. But that doesn't mean they're going to still get the same amount of nutrients out of it, especially for crude protein and that type of stuff. So if you have high-quality stuff on the landscape versus low-quality stuff on the landscape, if they want to maintain good body condition they don't have to eat if you're if you're eating high quality material you don't have to eat as much to get the level of nutrient nutrients out of it versus if you're dealing with crap material you just got to keep eating and eating and eating just to kind of just try to get out of whatever you know get out of it whatever you can get okay you've got to eat a bunch you've got to have resources on the table so in the winter, even in these areas where you've got good blue grandma and good fescue and maybe mountain mahogany, all these, other, you may have some really sagebrush. You may have some plants on the landscape that have really good nutrition in the winter. But most of the time, they're not going to be the same level of nutrition as they are in the summer. So the animal from the winter it's just going to be on this slow decline on body condition. Now, the better the quality, again, I just said this, the better the quality of forage that you have going into the, into the winter and the more the quantity, the, the more quantity of that forage you have, the better it is because probably that animal was able to lay on a bunch of fat in the fall and get them ready for the winter. So they got a lot of fat reserves going in. And then, because of the quantity and because of the quality, they're getting as much out as they possibly can to where their body decline. They're still at a at a net de or a net uh, deficit on what they actually really need for maintenance of their body condition. That 12, 14 percent. Okay. 
So they're on a, they, these animals would be on a slow decline of body condition to where if, they, if that quality of forage maintained and quantity of forage roughly maintained throughout the winter and they did not have a hard winter, I mean, just what does that mean? Real quick. Okay, temperature is really not a big factor for elk. It's snowpack and how difficult is it for those animals to basically feed, achieve access to food. All right. So if they've got heavy snows that they got to push through and walk through and or it gets crusted over and they've got to paw through it and they've got to work at getting to food, that is going to tax their energy reserves a lot more than no snow and it's 20 below. Temperature really doesn't have much of a play. It's going to suppress it a little bit, but it not nearly as much as them having to be active in order to try to find food, okay? So when you hear people talk about hard winter, most of the time it's not because of, of the temperature. It's because of what the snow and the snowpack and what they're having to deal with in order to get to that food. Now, goodness gracious, we could, oh, this is why these rabbit holes, I could talk for hours on this and we're probably going to end up doing that. Um, why not all winters are created equal because say for instance you have a drought year and this is we're gonna we will end up circling back to this but say we have a drought year one year and we don't grow any summer or fall forage and now we go into the winter and there's really little very very little food on the landscape and then the winter comes and it's cold and snowing and blowing and we've got a foot of snow a foot of snow normally is nothing well, but if the vegetation out there that you have is only an inch high and it's very sparse, that foot of snow is burying shit. Sorry, but I mean, just crap. I mean, there's nothing there. A foot of snow on a, year, on a drought year can be much more damaging than three feet of snow on a good forage year because they don't have to paw through as much. All right, so it all depends on that forage quality going in, which interplays with how much snow and the type of snow and, and how much they have to work to get that food, okay? So don't just think that, oh, well, we only have a foot of snow. It's no big deal. It's a foot of snow over how much vegetation. If they've got to work at trying to find food because there's just no vegetation, a foot of snow can be problematic or, or, or more energetically taxing than maybe three foot of snow if there's just a piss pile of food everywhere, all right? But it's generally how much energy they have to expend to get to the food affects how much energy deterioration or how much body condition deterioration they see during the winter, okay? And this happens on both cows and bulls. The more of a deficit that animal gets itself into over the winter, over the course of the winter, is the more of a deficit that that animal has to dig itself out of before its body starts maximizing its ancillary growth let's just say accoutrements or whatever you want to call it. So for bulls, it's antlers. For cows, it's the calf. 
All right. So just out of curiosity, you know, for your curiosity sakes, cows are affected by this too. So they go into the fall fat and happy. They get pregnant. That first trimester, not a lot of development in the fetus. The, the cow's just cruising right along. She's starting into winter. Second trimester on that fetus. Now we're in the, in the really the heart of winter. That's where that body condition is really going to start coming into play. Okay. If her body condition, because of lack of food, hard winter, etc., just starts tanking and she starts dipping down too bad, too low, and, and her body condition is suffering, she may very well just abort that fetus, fetus and reabsorb it and just, just so she's not expending any energy into trying to grow that fetus. All right. And then the third trimester is when the bulk of the growth happens, but typically that's going to coincide with when we start rolling around in that early spring time frame. However, again, if she's in a huge hole as far as her body condition is concerned, but not quite enough to where she aborted that fetus, as that spring green up starts happening and she starts getting on better food, she's going to be putting that, that material into both her and her fetus, yes, but her body is going to take priority. And so that's where you hear people talk about a low body weight calf versus a heavy body weight calf. If that cow maintains great body condition all the way through winter, she's at a very, very minimal deficit when she comes into spring. All of a sudden, spring green up happens. All of a sudden, the, the, that flush of good high, high protein High new, highly nutritious forage comes in. She doesn't have to dig herself out of a hole. She's just a, just a little bit suppressed. Now she achieves her body condition again. Now she's running above that 12, 14%, just, just cranking good, good uh, forage. All that extra can go into that calf. And that's when she gives birth to just a big, fat, happy calf. And she's got plenty of fat reserves to just crank into good you know, milk production highly rich milk production, okay? For bulls, it's the antlers. Yes, if a bull gets himself into just a stupidly low body condition and then spring green up starts. Yeah, his pedicles will start there it's all part of the growth pro- he's the growth hormones are going to start cranking again. He's going to start growing something, but he's not going to be throwing maximum energy into those antlers. Maximum energy is going to be put to recovering his body condition. Then he can put more energy into the antlers. So it's not uncommon for people to talk about, well, we had a poor fall and it was a hard winter. And then you see the bulls in the next spring have very short, nothing major, nothing really great on fronts. Thirds are okay, but man, they, they threw a really good, they ended up, ended up being able to throw a really good back end. They probably were in a suppressed state coming out of the winter, went into spring. Again, the antler grows from the base, does the front, the fronts, moves up that beam to the third, to the fourth, to the fifth. But once it starts, it'll progress. And as changes in nutrients progress, it can change how the cycle of that antler growth will happen. You'll hear people talk all the time. Maybe you had a lot of food in the fall. You had an easy winter, but then it just didn't get, you didn't get much spring green up. You had a little, little blip in the spring from the snow melt. You had a little green up. The antlers started growing great. You had great fronts, 
good beam, you know, good mass, good beams, and if they started, but then all of a sudden June turns hot and dry, July is hot and dry, well, May turns hot and dry, June turns hot and dry, July is hot and dry, and all of a sudden their antlers just go, and they just peter out, they've got great fronts, great thirds, what the hell happened to the fourth, what is this little crab, what, there's nothing, the fifth point is just this little, meh, because they just ran out of steam, okay, so nutrition across the scale, it, it, it is going to be tied to body condition. The animal will put its, mat, its focus on its body condition first, antlers second. All right? So that's why I always tell people, if you want to predict what your antlers are going to look like the next year or get an idea of what they could be, you need to look at what the fall, the summer and then the fall vegetation production look like. Is there a lot of good food on the landscape? Are you walking around in September with all sorts of really good blue grandma? Great. If you're up in the mountains, if you're up in those slopes, you get those big Idaho fescue, Arizona fescue, there's a bunch of grass. Is, is there ample vegetation? Is there just good vegetative growth everywhere? Are you walking through a sea of grass or are you walking across dirt and rock and just there just really doesn't seem to be a lot of production? That's going to give you a good indication. How much food do they have and what kind and what quality? How much food do they have on the table going into winter? And then evaluate your winter. Was it an easy winter or was it a tough winter? Physically, I mean, they had to work it out to get the food. And then what happens in your spring? Is it a good spring green up or is it a... Lackluster spring green up. Okay. This is where this comes into that question. All right. Because not all spring green ups are the same. When we're talking spring green up in the mountains, most of the time we're talking about that receding snow line. Okay. Your snowpack starts to recede. Some years we have a lot of snow, like this past year. We had what? Depending on where you are in the mountains, I mean, hell, they're still, still talking about 200, 300, 400% snowpack. The snowpack this year has lingered. Uh, uh, we've had a lot of snow and it's lingered a long time it's very reminiscent to what happened in 2011 into 2012 in 2012 there was places on my high country camp the primary basin that of my high country camp where the bulk of the cows and calves would camp out in the beginning of August was buried in four foot of snow it was insane the elk never even got there Okay, that's the topic of the next video alright they all couldn't even get there. But the spring green up, based on the snow and or the rain, okay, because some years you'll have your snow, it starts to warm up, and then all of a sudden you get thunderstorms or rainstorms come in. You get rain on top of snow, it's going to melt the snow. That snow that's been melting and the rain is going to soak in as much as it's going to soak in, but the volume of water trying to either soak in or run off the side of that mountain if it's coming so hard and so fast it may just run down the side of the mountain and that's where you get flooded rivers and just raging just cranking nasty dangerous conditions from snow melt and runoff to where it's just coming down so fast that the mountain just can't soak it in fast enough to where all that water just comes off goes down to the creeks goes down to the rivers and whoop, out to the ocean it goes or the reservoirs at least on the western slope okay it's off that mountain right now. 
The problem is, is once that's off that mountain that quick, you only got so much that's soaked in. And now the vegetation is growing. If you follow me on Instagram, you know that I talk about, you know, for my food plot areas, places that are growing themselves dry. Yes, the vegetation is growing. It's pulling moisture out of the soil to grow. If you only have a certain amount of moisture and then it's dry behind them, you're not getting any rain after that, those plants might start awesome. But then they peter out, they're done, they burn up and dry up, and then there's really piss-poor, crappy vegetation or, or very little of it left in late spring into early summer versus a year like this where we had snowstorms just continually dump more snow. It would start to warm up. It, this, the, the snow would melt. It would soak in. It would be receding. The vegetation would start to grow. All of a sudden, here comes another snowstorm. Dumps over heavy, wet snow. Dumps over top of it. Okay, well, now that starts to slowly melt. And so it was just this slow, prolonged melting that allows good moisture to soak into the landscape, number one which means anything that's growing has good, ample moisture to grow from, all right, and to pull from. But then, because there's so much snow, and we've had a cool spring in a lot of areas, that snow melt was just, the, the, the receding snow line was slow, and it was very patchy, meaning there was new growth just popping up all over the place, and the, the length of time we had new growth going on was greatly extended. So this spring, 2019, has been incredible across many areas of the mountain, the Rocky Mountains, the interior Rocky Mountains at least. And then if you look down in Arizona, Arizona, yes, we had a bad drought last year. And I guess we can, maybe we can round, well, I guess, let me take a step. So last year, Arizona was one of the worst antler production, production years on record, all right? It just, it was horrible. A lot of the elk were, a lot of the bulls that we knew of that we had good hard data on were 30 inches below what they should have been. All right. So, you know, some people are like, what the, you know, well, again, we could talk for days on this one, but the, the issue is they didn't grow antlers for squat. They, they were, they were horribly stunted. All right. Because the previous fall had very piss poor production on vegetation. The winter was dry. Now in a lot of these areas, they have cattle. And so the cattle had gone in there and eaten a bunch of the vegetation. So the biomass itself was reduced. The, the amount that was produced to begin with was reduced. So they went through winter, not able to have a lot of, of forage to, to chew on literally and figuratively. And then you rolled into spring and it didn't get any better. It stayed dry all the way from spring into the middle part of summer when the antlers started to shut down and, and started to, you know, finish growing. So they had suppressed body condition from the fall into the winter, all the way through winter into the spring. They really didn't get much. They just kind of, kind of petered and their body condition was okay. If you saw some of those bulls, they were skinny. You could see, you know, the, um, the vertebrae on the, the hump on their back. You could see their shoulders were very defined. You could see the bone. I mean, you could see ribs on some, some of their body conditions going in the summer were piss poor, just piss poor. 
And so by the time they finished growing their antlers, they didn't put much resource into their antlers at all. They were very much suppressed in their body condition. But all of a sudden then the monsoon started coming and a couple of areas strategically started getting rains to where those cool, you know, the blue grandma responded pretty well. And then some of the cooler season grasses started responding. They ended up having a decent amount of vegetation in the fall as far as amount of biomass is concerned. And then it just stayed wet through the winter. And it wasn't really overly harsh winter. It was just, they had a lot of good moisture. So they had good food going into the fall and eat relatively easy winter that had a lot of moisture to it to where this spring they didn't have a low body. They didn't have a much suppressed body condition, but now the spring has stayed. And so far it's been, it's been a good spring and early summer with the amount of moisture they've been getting to where those animals have been able to put maximum uh, effort into growing those antlers. So this, so last year was the worst that we've seen in years I mean, I've been down as long as Jay and some of these other other outfitters have been down there. But it is last year, 2018 was one of the worst antler development years on record, and 2019 is sitting here looking to be one of the best antler production years on record, simply because of the change in fall to winter to spring. Seriously, okay. But when we're talking about the mountains. And we're talking about spring green up, like the question you asked. Okay, well, we've got a great spring green up this year. We had a lot of snow. We've got a lot of moisture. It's patchy. We've got a lot of good growth, a lot of good, you know, a lot of good green growing. All right. Why, you know, he, then the question was, why are they not reaching the potential that they think they should be seeing? Okay. Those bulls had extended drought that they've been in all last year. So we know that the body condition, their body condition was probably suppressed going into fall. If that area was drought stricken last fall, it probably didn't grow a lot of good vegetation over the winter. So there's probably not a lot of biomass available to them. And we can talk about shrubs. The thing with shrubs, shrubs will be there, but if they don't have a lot of grass to nibble on, they're going to lean heavily on the shrubs and if they've pre if they started grazing on or browsing on shrubs early the amount of biomass of shrubs is going to be proportionally decreased so if you don't have good grass production in the late summer and in the in the fall you oftentimes are going to have a lot more damage to your your brows your shrubs and they're just going to reduce the amount of biomass that's available for there later so it all ties in together. Okay, so if they went from drought to drought, they had a drought last fall, there's not a lot of food on the landscape this winter, and we roll into spring. Okay, we understand that their body condition is suppressed. The key and the reason why I liked this question and the interesting part part about this question for this year is this. How was the spring? How was the spring green up? When did it occur? On years where we have kind of quote unquote that normal spring green up. Now keep in mind, we're starting with a bull that is got ex- 
probably, probably significant depressed body condition. He's got a hole to dig himself out of before he starts putting any effort into his antlers, okay? If we look at a quote-unquote normal year in spring, we know, excuse me, we know that we normally, let me just talk about Colorado for a minute. I don't know about Utah and your snow cycles, but in Colorado, we know that typically end of March, we'll get a snowstorm, and then April. And it usually, I mean, it was almost like almost always middle of April because it was right about opening weekend of turkey season, and we get snow. We'd be turkey hunting on opening opening day in a foot of snow or two feet of snow. Okay, so we know that we usually get a, a snowstorm in that end of March, beginning part, maybe middle of April. But that's when it usually starts to warm up. And we start to really crank on spring green up. What did we do this year, 2019? Did we have a lot of spring green up in April? Did we have a lot of spring green up in May? In some areas, yes. Okay, and this is where different elevations and different habitat types come into play. If you are dealing with elk that are either wintering on or they completely live year-round in lower elevation habitats 7,000, you know, 6,000 7,000, 8,000 maybe feet okay, somewhere around in there most of the snow is going to be, you're going to get a quote-unquote normal green-up, but quite honestly your March time frame is oftentimes when that spring green-up starts March starts rolling into April and everything's cranking and those bulls are just they're just chucking food and they're really cranking and going. But as we move up in elevation, we are backing, you know, the spring green up occurs later. Maybe it doesn't happen until end of April into May, into May, excuse me. And then if we're up in higher elevations, maybe it's not May, it's it's actually into June. All right? Depending on the habitat and the elevation that your elk are in and winter in, may in fact push the spring green up dates back a little bit well photo period is photo period hormone cycling is hormone cycling I think part of the reason why in some habitats we can, in some areas we can see certain elk grow just monstrous and other elk don't what elevation are they wintering at when does spring green up occur and is it in, is it and how was their winter? If it was an easy winter with plenty of forage and their spring green up comes early and it stays nice and moist, they have absolute max potential to, to realize their genetic potential. Potential. However, we move up the landscape a little bit and we move up into that, say, 9,000, 10,000 foot range on a winter range in spring range, transition area. Well, now our spring green updates might be two weeks, a month later than what was down below, which means that bull that wants to start growing in March, he starts growing in March, but he's utilizing the reserves that he has in his body at the time because spring green up really hasn't started kicking in yet. Spring green up doesn't start kicking in until maybe April. So he's already starting to grow. He's at a deficit. 
Now in April, his buddies down over there started growing in March and they are maximizing their potential. But he was at a deficit and he's starting a month later. His antlers are going to grow at a deficit longer than his buddies down the mountain or in those places that had better conditions. All right. And then you go further up the mountain. If, if you, if you have any bulls that are, you know, say they ended up somehow wintering above 10,000 feet. Now you're talking about, okay, when is their spring green up really? And what are they getting access to? Then you couple that with a spring like we've had where it is so prolonged and there's been so much snow. It may push that actual realized start date of, of you know max antler production much later. In the case for this, this gentleman looking in Utah, if those animals were that suppressed going into fall and winter, which they likely were, and he is in that bull, those bulls are in such a hole that they need to dig out of. Quite honestly, the amount of snowpack we had this year may have actually exacerbated the conditions because it delayed the amount, the quantity of high quality forage at that critical stage of when those antlers were starting to grow. They still had to get themselves out of a deficit. Their antlers are growing but now they're getting themselves out of a deficit still. And so by the time they get out of the deficit, they've already got fronts. They've already got a main beam going. They may have even been starting to get, you know, puke out on their thirds. Maybe the reason why you're not seeing the, the, the full potential that you think you should have, you should have had this year is because we had so, so much snowpack. It shifted that beneficial green up stage outside of the window for maximum initial antler growth. But it's not going to be like that for all areas. Maybe your area is like that. However, I go to Southern Colorado or Northern New Mexico and it's pretty darn awesome and, and it's nor- quote unquote normal. I go down to Arizona and holy, fr- it's, it's insanely, it's insanely awesome. However, I might be able to go right on the interior mountains of Colorado in some of those high, you know, those 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 habitats where maybe the elk could drop down into lower elevations on sagebrush, on good grass. We had great moisture these past several years, actually. Each fall in places where I've hunted, it's I've had more rain. I've worn my my rain gear more these past couple years in the fall than I have probably in my entire life combined. It's been insane how much moisture has come across some of these mountains. And the vegetation that's been growing in the fall has been incredible. So the body condition of the animals going through winter has been incredible, regardless of how much snow that they've had to go through or that they've had to deal with. If they're on good winter ranges where there's ample vegetation, again, how hard was it for them to go through and dig that stuff up and access that vegetation? Good or not? Easy or hard? I didn't hear of many places that had to to do supplemental feeding programs for elk this year or deer. We've heard about it in the past, but I didn't, I don't remember hearing much about a lot of areas this year, if any, because there was so much vegetation produced in the fall, they had access, they could get access to it. And the way the snows were falling, they could have, they could move down the mountain and access it without having to struggle like it was a hard winter, even though we had a lot of snowpack. And then 
some areas of the mountains, interior mountains, because even though we had so much snowpack, the snow, as it started to melt, became patchy. It extended the life of that green up phase. Some areas, those elk are just rocking and rolling right now. Other areas may have taken a hit may have taken an initial hit this spring. The interesting thing I would cue for you, I would be curious about is how do the back ends of those antlers look? How do their back ends? Do they actually have decent back ends and they're just stunted on the front or the thirds? Are they just a little skinnier, but they actually actually are decent in the back ends? I don't know. I'd be curious to see. Um, but the other thing to consider is that for that scenario, those those animals may have been at such a body condition deficit that it may have taken them right into right into June right into June to finally get out of that deficit or end of June to where maybe they did 80 to 90% of their growth while their body where the hormone cycle that 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 growth hormone cycle was just cranking and maxim they were trying to maximize everything maybe it was all just going to replace body condition and maybe that's why you don't see that realized antler potential that you thought maybe you should even though we had a good sprint so anyway i could probably keep rambling on about all these little tiny little nuances here and there and such and such but I don't want to keep you too long. Um, I think that pretty much covers it. Oh, yeah. Jeez, oh, Pete. Yeah. We could probably kill this one. Um, so, yeah. If you have any questions, by all means, fire away on the forums. Um, forums are probably the best place to do it. And just start comparing notes with everybody. Um, because I just do. I, I, I really, I really, I love, I mean, we all love antlers. I mean, we just love holding them. That's why shed hunting is so popular and, we all love antlers, and I just love the, the whole process and how all the hormones interplay and how everything affects something else. And But there there are some, some things that, that offer a level of predictability if you know how things all fit together. Um, so there you go. Hope that helps. Hope you enjoyed it. I don't know. Maybe it's uh, maybe you found it interesting. And, uh, yeah, for those of you that are checking your game cameras, keep that stuff in mind. Look at the tip. Look at is it is it still growing? Probably not right now. But is it still growing or is it shutting down? And if it's shutting down, just understand it's 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 going hard horn. It's it's mineralizing now. And do not be surprised if you start seeing pictures from either people, you know, photographers going up there uh, up in, in some of these park areas or some of these sanctuary areas where the where you get some really older class age or older age class bulls or some of these outfitters in Arizona, Utah and some of these limited entry units that have some older age class bulls do not be surprised when all of a sudden here at the end of the month you start seeing bulls with shredded velvet and they're already knocking velvet off because I think it's going to be another one of those years where we're going to have a lot of growth that's done already and they're going to go hard horned early you go hard horned early well go back and revisit the rethinking the rut series and or watch this next video that I'm going to post and uh yeah let your mind wander on well, how that might affect things this fall for you. So, all right, everybody. Thank you very much. I will see you again in the next video. So thanks for sticking around and thanks for watching.